In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the first Sunday of Tuba, which is the first Sunday after the month of Kiyak, and after the Feast of the Nativity, uh, where we celebrate the birth of our Lord. Here, uh, in the readings of today, we read about Herod, who, when he discovered that there was a child that was to be born, who was to be the king of the Jews, he was extremely enraged, uh, and to the point where he went and he slaughtered all of the children, the, 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 the young children, the boys who were two years old and younger, because he was afraid about who these, this king, who, who would he be. He himself was a king, and so he could not share power, nor he could he, uh, uh, like tolerate the idea that there would be another king who would to be born who would actually supplant him and replace him. We read about this in verse 16, when it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under. So we can look at this kingdom, this kingdom of man, who is the kingdom of King Herod, and we can compare it to the kingdom of God. These are two distinct kingdoms that are here in a war against each other. Herod represents the kingdom of man because he is the king uh, on the earth, and we see that the way that he tries to keep his powers by force, by violence, by trying to impose his will and not accepting the will of God, can compare his kingdom to the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God operates. This is important for us nowadays as well because we are obviously living in the world. We are living in the kingdom of man here in the world, and yet we are called to be citizens of heaven, to be citizens of the kingdom of God. So we should look at what is the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. The first difference is that the kingdom of God has the true power, whereas the kingdom of man only has the appearance of power. In First Chronicles 29, it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom of O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. God is the creator. God is the one who created all the kingdoms. God is the one who is a king himself in the kingdom of heaven, and he has dominion and authority even over all of the kingdoms of the earth. And yet when we look at the kingdoms of the earth, they appear to be very powerful. They appear to have weapons, and they appear to have a lot of influence, and they appear to have a lot of influence on their own people, their influence on other countries. Uh, and we're, we are worried, for instance, when a certain country uh, might have nuclear weapons, or when a certain country is going to threaten war with another country, or even our own country, when we feel like it, maybe it is oppressing its people. We feel like we are under the yoke and of, of someone else, of a kingdom, of a kingdom of powerful people who <clears throat> have authority on earth. But here we read that God is what? For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And God is the ultimate king, right? That's why we call him the king of kings, because he is the one who is responsible for, for all kingdoms. And anything that happens on earth, it happens by his permission. He allows it to happen. It doesn't mean that he wants uh, sin to happen. It doesn't mean that he wants oppression to happen. It doesn't mean that he wants people on earth, like King Herod, for instance, to do what he did. But he allows it. He allows the free will of human beings to operate within this world, even those who are corrupt, even those who are wicked and evil. But God is the one with the true power. When Christ was on the cross, the people looked at him and assumed that he was a weakling, assumed that he could not come down from the cross, and they mocked him. And they said, you who said you could, 
you, you know, that, 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 that you could uh, destroy the temple in three days. If you are so powerful, come down from the cross. And of course, we know that the Lord did not do this. And they interpreted this to be ultimate weakness. But actually, it was not weakness. It was strength. The, the Lord chose to suffer. The Lord chose the cross because this was necessary for our salvation. Not because he could not escape from it if he, if he wanted to, but because he chose not to escape. So the Lord is patient with us. And what looks like to us that maybe the, the kingdom of man is overcoming the kingdom of God, when we see people that are turning away from God more and more, when we see that the laws that are created are against God more and more, when we see that the people's mind and heart is not with God anymore, we look at this scene and we say, well, it looks like the kingdom of man is winning. It looks like the, the people have, have kind of rejected God and God is almost like victimized in all of this. He's lost in all of this, like we have abandoned him, as though he is in need of our help or our worship. But no, actually, God is the one who is allowing uh, people to exercise their free will as they see fit. But in the end, he is the victor. He is the one, the Lord of glory, who will come and he will judge the world according to his own wisdom. So the Lord's kingdom, the kingdom of God, is the one with the true power versus the kingdom of man, which only has the appearance of power. The kingdom of God is based on the law of God, whereas the kingdom of man is based on the laws of man. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, St. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Who is, defines what it is to be unrighteous? What does it mean to be unrighteous? What does it mean to be a sinner? What does it mean? God is the one who defines this, not us as human beings. We do not define. Different societies over different eras of time, the idea of morality has changed. Uh, what people consider to be right and what people consider to be wrong over time has changed, and different people have different opinions about what that is. Who in the end decides what is right and wrong? Is it the society? Is it the individual? Or is it God himself? God is the one who has placed the law, and he has given it to us, and he says what he has written it in our hearts so that we would know what is right and what is wrong, and we are to follow him. We have kind of in a, in a place now in our, in our society <clears throat> where the legality or the illegality of something is what defines people's behavior. If something is legal, that means it's, I should do it, and it's moral. And if it is illegal, then maybe I can find a way to do it without getting caught. Or maybe I avoid it altogether because I'm told that it is illegal. The idea that legality and morality are the same thing. Legality is, is, is not the same as morality. Just because there is something that is legal for me to do doesn't mean that it is right for me to do. For instance, in a lot of places, it is not illegal to lie. It's illegal to lie under oath, but if you're not under oath, it is not illegal to lie. Right? Does that mean that because I can get away with a lie, that I should lie? No, because according to the law of God, it is, it is a sin. It is a sin to lie. The kingdom of God is based on his laws. So if we are members of the kingdom of God, citizens of the kingdom of God, we should be thinking, how is it that I can please God not to please man? Not to fulfill the laws of man as much as it is to fulfill the laws of God. The laws of God are a higher standard than what man requires of us, right? This is the, the law of God. The legality of something should not be the measure that we use to determine our actions. Of course, I'm not saying that we do things that are illegal. What I'm saying is that following the higher standard of the law of God is what we should be uh, focusing on and not just saying what is the thing that society is requiring of me. The law, the, the, uh, the kingdom of man is governed by men. Right? Human beings. Whereas the kingdom of God is governed 
by the church through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in, on earth in the church. When the apostles met together to decide what is to be done about the Gentiles and the issue of whether the Gentiles should be circumcised or not. The apostles, they met together in, uh, in Jerusalem, and we read about this in Acts 15. And when they gave the decision of their council, when the apostles met to discuss this issue, it said what? For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these, thing, these necessary things. The, 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 the church is governing through the authority of the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is governed not just by people. The kingdom of God is governed by the Holy Spirit that works through these chosen people. Even in the morning doxology that we chant at the beginning before the liturgy starts, we say, O caring God, the maker of all good things, who governs well with his chosen ones. He governs well with his chosen ones. He governs through the chosen ones. He covers through the church. They are the ones to, to whom they govern, right? And, and places the, the laws for us, for us to follow in the church. So God's kingdom is governed by him. It is not governed by human beings. God's kingdom is one eternal kingdom versus the kingdom of man, which is many, many temporary kingdoms. Okay? In Psalm 45, verse 6, we read this verse, the psalm that we also read during Holy Week, where it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now, God's kingdom is eternal. It will last forever. It has no beginning and it has no end. It is eternal. And also it is one. It is one kingdom with one purpose, with one ruler, with one goal, with one mindset. And in every way, everything about God's kingdom is straightforward to understand. But if you look at the kingdom of men, the kingdom of men is not one kingdom. The kingdom of men is many, many different factions with many different rulers, with many different goals, with many different people that are claiming to power and many that are fighting each other for that power. And even the, 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 the goals that they have are different. Okay, in, in the kingdom of God, there is one ultimate goal. Okay, we read in, in John 17, verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the goal of the kingdom of God, that we share eternal life, that we know God, we know Jesus Christ, we are in union with him. This is the goal of the kingdom of God for us as humans. Okay. But what about the kingdom of men? Many, many different contradictory goals. And actually, a lot of times, the goals themselves are selfish, right? In our church, in the kingdom of God, we know that our king is a servant king. He is ruling not for himself, not to gain something for himself, but to share of himself with us. In, uh, we read in John chapter 13 how Christ, he washed the feet of the disciples. It says, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. What human leader would do this? What human leader sees himself as being less than the, the people whom he, has, uh, he is serving to the point where he would wash their feet? Right? Many politicians speak about how that this is what they are, but in reality, is this really what they are? God, is, who is God, who is the one that is due worship from us, he sat on the ground and he washed the feet of the disciples because he is a servant and he wants us to serve like him. The earthly rulers, 
they are after what? They are after power for themselves. They are after influence. They are after money. They are after all these things for themselves. And they uh, relish and enjoy the positive uh, praise that they would receive. Okay, this is, this is what they would be after. But this is not what Christ did. We read actually about what Christ did in Philippians 2. It says, But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The Lord was in heaven, and his throne and being served by the angels and not feeling any type of suffering and being in complete peace there, right? But when he chose to incarnate for us, which was his act of love, he endured suffering, he endured want, he endured hunger, he endured beatings, he endured all of these things that happened to him that he, he allowed to happen to himself voluntarily out of his love for us so that we would be saved and redeemed. This is what our king chose. He chose not to remain in the throne room. He chose not to remain in the place where he would receive honor, but he allowed himself what? To be made of no reputation, to, to be the lowest of the low, to be rejected by everyone so that he would accomplish the mission that he was called for. This is why he is a servant king and that he is not a selfish king. He, what is it that he is looking for? People think sometimes that God is very demanding, and he comes and he tells us, uh, do this, don't do that, and he is very controlling God, right? And people reject his control. No, don't tell me what to do. This is not the Lord that we serve. If God tells us to do something or not to do something, it is to protect us. It is not to demand of us. It is not because God wants to control us. It's because God wants to save us. It's because God wants to protect us. There are so many things that we do in our life that are damaging. There are so many things that we do that lead us down the path of destruction. And so if the Lord comes and he puts a commandment, if he puts a rule, if he puts a law, what is the purpose of that law? Is it, is it because he wants to exercise control and power and authority? Well, clearly when it was his crucifixion, he did not do so. He, he, he allowed himself to be controlled by others. He allowed himself, he, he submitted to the authority of others who were less than him. What is it, why is it that he puts these rules and laws? It is for our protection. It is to save us from destruction. It is to save us from temptation. It is to save us from the attacks of the enemy. And all these things he tells us to save us, not to control, not to hinder us, because he wants us to be truly free. He wants us to be truly uh, enjoying peace and harmony with him. So he is a servant king, the king of the kingdom of God. He serves. He does not demand. Also, the kingdom of God, the focus in the kingdom of God is eternal peace. In the kingdom of God, we can have eternal peace. But in the kingdom of men, there is constant misery. In Philippians 4, uh, when St. Paul is speaking about this idea of the perfect peace, he says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. This peace that only comes from God, because God is peace. God is not violent. God is not angry. God is not vengeful. God is not filled with hatred. God is not wanting to destroy. God seeks the salvation of everyone. And he inherently in himself is peace. And when we are members of his kingdom, when we are citizens of his kingdom, 
then we can share in this peace that he has for us, right? This is, this is what he wants us to experience. This is what he wants us to feel. He wants us to feel that even though we are living on the earth, that we are governed by the laws of God, that we are our king is the, is, the kingdom, or is the king of heaven, that we are able to share in this peace that he has, that he offers to us, okay? But the kingdom of man is a constant misery. Even those who gain power, now they start having to worry about keeping that power. They have to worry about people that want to take it away from them. They have to worry about people who are trying to, to trick them. They have to worry about always keeping control, right? See, very many people who are powerful people in the world, they're actually very miserable. They're very miserable people. Maybe they're the richest people. Maybe they have the most things and the most toys, but their life is really empty because there is no ultimate purpose or ultimate meaning when someone, all that they have is only what the, what the kingdom of man offers, which ultimately is a temporary existence. It is a temporary power. It is a temporary happiness. It's a temporary uh, possession of things. And then after that, it is taken away from me, and I have nothing left. I have nothing left with which to enjoy. But the eternal peace that comes from the kingdom of heaven, this is a peace that abides, a peace that lives in me, that lasts forever, and brings me and fills me with the joy of being a, a citizen of heaven. The last point I want to mention is that the, the kingdom of God and God understands and, and, and explains to us what is the true meaning of life, right? What is the true solution to our problems, right? Understands our real issues, our real condition, our real problems, and has a solution to those. Whereas in the world, in the kingdom of man, the, the solution to our problems are very superficial and are very temporary. So for instance, what is our biggest problem? Our biggest problem is separation from God, which leads to death right, which leads to suffering. Everything that we experience, every negative thing that we experience in the world ultimately has its root in the separation between us and God that happened in the Garden of Eden, okay? Christ is offering to solve this problem by restoring us to God again, by making us whole and one with him again, by, by, by exempting us from death, that we don't have to experience the, the negative consequences of death, that we don't have to be afraid of death. Because And God turns all of this into something good. The world, all it can offer is temporary solutions. It can only offer something that lasts for a very short time. It's not, it does not abide. It does not last long. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Christ the King subdues everything to himself. Every knee shall bow. Everything of all creation shall bow before him and tremble before him because he is the most powerful. He is the creator. He, and he is the one who shares with us himself to solve every problem that we've ever experienced. This is not to say that our day-to-day -day problems are somehow going to just disappear because we are believers. It is to say that God is, is offering the ultimate solution to the ultimate problem, the ultimate root of everything, of every problem that we have. He comes and he solves it, and he gives us eternal life to live with him forever. It is not a temporary solution. It's not something that lasts only for a time and has to be renewed again. It is done. God gave it to us, and we are to enjoy it and to live with it for eternity. So very briefly today, we spoke about the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of man. 
the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. We see in the life of Herod a person who was a very powerful man on earth, and yet he was a miserable man. And all he did was he brought destruction around to people around him. He was not governed by the law of God. He did not have the goals of God in mind. He was not a servant king. And in every way that he demonstrated to us the problem with power on earth and the, and the, the corruption that comes with those who are powerful. But God is the one who shows us what it means to serve. He shows us what it means to love, the sacrifice of himself. And we are called to be citizens of heaven and to always to see him as our ultimate king. And that even though, yes, we are governed by different principalities, different governments, different countries, and yet our ultimate allegiance is to God himself and to no one else. And glory be to God forever. Amen.